welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 2nd of March 2014, entitled A Friend to Sinners, Part 1, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 31 to 50. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Just before that we read there this morning, how many of you have, uh, have been here five years or longer? <laughs> I guess as I was praying this week, because it's often a real challenge, I'm looking forward to getting back into our series on the contending for the faith. And the next subject we'll be looking at is one that uh, is exciting for me, and that's the subject of heaven, amen. And uh, so uh, that's one to, uh, to rejoice over. Uh, but following the conference, I guess it's often a time when we say, okay, Lord, you've given us all this. What do we do with it now? Where do we go from here with it all? And the Lord laid this passage upon my heart most definitely, and I've prayed much about it. And, uh, and I thought, well, Lord, I, I remember preaching and doing a sermon on that. I know it's been a good while back, and I began looking back through my notes, and it was five years ago that we looked at this passage and some similar thoughts, different application today. Uh, some things will be similar. Uh, but uh, I believe that uh, this is what the uh, the Lord would uh, have for us. So uh, again, we won't get through all of it this morning. Uh, we'll take however long it takes, amen. And uh, if you'd like to turn for the reading this morning to Luke chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 31, and we will be reading down through the end of the chapter, verse 50. We just begin in verse 30. We'll see. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word as we begin reading in Luke chapter 7, verse 30. It says, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. The Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned to you and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon... I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had 
two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. They that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful, glorious privilege that we have to be gathered together in your house today for each and every one that you've allowed to be here. And now, Father, as we take these next moments to look into your word, we are so fully aware, Lord, that it is you that we depend upon totally and completely. I pray, Lord, that you would help this flesh, this man, to be out of the way, and that, Lord, that you would speak through your word by the power of your spirit to each individual here this morning. We will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for it. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I'd like to read two other passages that I'd like for you to keep in mind as we look here this morning. And I actually printed them on the back of your, your bulletins there. If, you, uh, if you've got them, Matthew chapter 22 uh, verses 36 to 40, Jesus was asked a question. It says, Master, and, and I may just point out that both of these passages as they're recorded in the Word of God, here in Matthew chapter 22, this is about two days before the day of the feast begins when Jesus is going to go into his, to the upper room and celebrate that last Passover with his disciples. The second verse in John chapter 13 is even closer. It's like one day away as they're preparing for that. So these are some of the last things that the conversations that are taking place between Jesus and his closest followers here upon this earth. And he's asked this question, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now stop and think about that. You know, God's word, God's law, everything that he'd given to them. What is the greatest commandment of all that God has given us. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So of every commandment that God ever gave us, he's saying the greatest commandment of all is that you love the Lord God with all of your heart. But then notice, he goes on and says, the second, 
the second greatest of everything that God's given to us is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Folks, we're reminded. We've looked those passages in 1 Corinthians when we were looking at the church. <coughs> we look at all those wonderful gifts that were given to the church for them to accomplish the work of God. And yet he made it very clear there that all of it, everything they had was totally and completely worthless. It was just a bunch of noise if they lost the love that it must be administered with. Jesus said, everything God said, Love the Lord with all your heart. The second, loving each other. In John chapter 13, probably a day later from the time that that one was recorded, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Notice he says, by this, Shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another? Now, I'm going to make a pretty strong statement. You know, so many times people try to impress others of how great a follower that they are of God, maybe with their minds and all of their theological genius that they've been able to gather and they can just impress you with all this wonderful knowledge that they have. Sometimes it's by that outer, what Jesus called whitened sepulchers. <laughs> Everything, it looks so good, it looks so perfect. We get all these things lined up and just so, and yet it's a whitened sepulcher that on the inside is just a bunch of dead bones. You see, Jesus is making a phenomenal statement here. They're not going to know that you're my follower because of what they see on the outside, because of all of the intellect that you might be able to gain and gather of all of these wonderful theological facts, and that's wonderful and great, but that's not. There are many people out there in the universities that are of this land and, and the lands of the world that are, that are training our young people today that probably can take and tell you a whole lot more about the theological facts of this book than most Christians can. But that doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus Christ. How are they going to know that you are a follower of Christ? Jesus says, when you love one another in the same way that he loved you. That's how they're going to know it, folks. You see, we just finished this conference. And God was great to us during this conference. During those days, we've been looking at the theme that's still on the banner up here. Are you a team player? God's blessed us with many encouraging and challenging truths during those days. We saw God move. We saw souls come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We saw many make fresh commitments in their life and their following of the Lord. So the question comes, so as a church, where do we go from here? You see, 
it's often a tremendous challenge when we come off of the high that we sometimes can, can feel during all of this intense concentration of ministry when the world has had less of its influence on us and we've been able to, to gather together and to be together and to hear God's word so much when we know that God has clearly spoken to us. Sometimes it's hard to know how do we just get our feet on the ground and do something with it. Our theme verse was found in Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, in light of all that we've heard in these days, as I was praying and saying, Lord, where do we go from there? And you know, it may seem oversimplified, but he just directed my attention to the last two words, Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's where we go with everything. That's, you know, one of the most profound things that I think Charles Haddon Spurgeon ever said. And I love reading many of his sermons and his studies. The thing is, he said you can begin anywhere in the Bible. This is what he taught his students as he taught them how. You can begin anywhere in the Bible, but wherever you begin, head straight to the cross. Head straight to the cross with whatever it is because that's the center of all that God has given us. You see, this prize that we talked about, the Bible said that it is this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We've heard a lot of important things about being a team player. We've heard much about being active in the game, not being on the sidelines, but being out there in the midst of what's going on. The importance of working together as a unit in order to see that victory. And of course, we've heard much about playing on the right team. You know, there's only one team that's the right team, and that's the team of Jesus Christ himself. The simple question comes, are you, as an individual, are you on the team? Are you, if you're on that team, are you a team player? If so, may I ask you this morning, Okay, you're on the team, you're on the right team, you're actively playing, what game is it that you're playing at? What game is it that you're actually trying to win? The goal and the prize can only be found in this high calling of God in Christ Jesus if you're going to reach the goal. If you're going to win a prize, you got to be playing in the right game, on the right field, going for the right goal. If you're not, it doesn't matter how hard you play, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how talented that you are, you're not going to win the prize. Some reminders. What game? What game are we playing in? What game are you playing in today? You know, as we go back and we look at, there have been many catechisms and different things and professions of faith and confessions of faith that have been written over the years 
to try to voice into a certain number of questions and answers just what our Christian faith is all about. And in many of those, the question is asked of what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, everything, whatever else that we do in our lives, whatever we do with our lives, the end is that we must glorify God. Well, how can sinful man bring glory to God? He's holy. He's, he's sinless. He's perfect, and yet we're so frail. Well, only in Jesus Christ. <laughs> only in Christ. One day. The Bible says we will be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be like him. We will have those sinless, glorified bodies. But right now, if we're to glorify God, it can only be in Christ Jesus. I remind you also, and I'm certainly not ashamed, and we've talked about it much about the whole purpose in Jesus Christ coming to this earth <coughs> was to give us that hope, that hope of life eternal. By dying on an old rugged cross, not for what he did, but for our sins, for defeating death. When he rose the third day and showed evidence, proof that sins were paid for, death couldn't hold him because the penalty of death had been paid. <coughs> Jesus came to this earth for a purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came. As we see here in our passage, in our scripture reading today, he came to be a friend, to be a friend like no other, to be a friend to sinners, over and over we see in that passage, he went to this sinner's house. There was this sinner that came. It was this sinner that, that came to him and washed his feet and, and, and wiped it with her hair. Sinners, sinners, sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, that those that needed forgiveness. The motive behind all that he did, we sing about in a variety of ways this morning, is love. That unconditional love, that indescribable love that he loved us with, that was behind it. We'll never fully understand that. We'll never fully grasp it. But then, he said to you and I that the way that people will know that we're his followers, the way that they will know that you're playing on the right team is because of loving others in the same way Jesus loves. That sounds easy in words. He said, you know, everything else, of everything that God's told us, the two greatest commandments is God first and others next. Love God with all your heart, with all your being, with everything that's within you, and to love one another the same way that he loved us. The only thing, I don't care 
how religious we can look, how well that we can play in the game that we're playing in, whatever that it might be, the prize is only going to be won when you're playing on the right team and at the right game. It's called a game of life. A life that is found only in Jesus Christ, the one that came to seek and to save the lost, the one that continues to do that work through you and I as believers today, the one that sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within us for that specific purpose, not we, so we can show off how great and spiritual and, and godly that we are for the praise of man, that the work of Christ could be accomplished through these weak, sinful individuals that have been forgiven. He commanded us to go to every creature. He commanded us to go to this lost world and to take them this good news of that life that can be had in him. Let us never forget that was his purpose. That is the purpose of his team. Therefore, if you and I are active members of his team, that is our purpose above all else is that men and women and boys and girls that we come in contact with every day of our lives that they can feel and sense and know the love of God, the same love that brought Jesus Christ to this earth. We can paint the pretty pictures. We can get as religious as we want. We can get as smart as we want. But if we lose sight, the goal, the prize, is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ being done through our lives. Without it, it's all wasted. It's all worthless. If we're going to succeed, if we're going to win that prize, that prize that is tied to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, then we've got to learn to be obedient to him. We've got to learn that it takes a united team. We've all got to be going for the same goal. You know, it might, it might get pretty hilarious, but it might not be so hilarious if it was your team that was out there on the football pitch and they just started going with that ball and it didn't matter which goal they got to. They just, just go whichever they wanted to, whatever goal they wanted to. They were just interested in showing off and getting a goal. I don't think it's so hilarious for Jesus either when his team is just out there showing off trying to get a goal, but they're not worried about whether it's the right goal. They're not even worried about if they're playing in the right game or not sometimes. Folks, we've got to learn. We've got to learn to give up ourselves, to yield ourselves totally and completely, to let those around us, even when they're filthy, low-down sinners, you know, here, all those religious people, <laughs> They thought something was bad wrong with this Jesus guy. Doesn't he know what kind of woman that is? We heard during the conference last week. 
We heard similar things take place in the old. Why would God send one of his prophets to marry a prostitute? Truth is, people may not understand it. May not always go down the way that we think. But I'm telling you this morning, truths that aren't something that suddenly came to light in Larry Curtis's head. They're not something that is just the truths that Bethel Free Baptist Church has decided to proclaim as their confession of faith. I just want us to understand this morning, folks, these are God's truths from God's Word straight from Scripture. It's relevant for all kinds of reasons. And we live in a day when people want to change those truths and sometimes so subtly we find that there's a lot of talk about love today. There's a lot of talk about God's love. We find that much of what's known as the emerging church, boy, they love to talk about love. They like it so much. We find that so many times when they begin to talk about it, though, it sounds good. Sometimes it sounds great. But when we get to looking and comparing it with Scripture, you see, if it doesn't marry with God's Word, it's wrong no matter how good that it sounds. It can look good, sound good, taste good, seem good in every way. But if it's contrary to God, it just won't work. Not if we're playing on the right team. Not if we're playing for the right goals. We find that so many times, we find that the best way to combat error is not to be focusing so much upon what others are doing wrong, but to simply focus upon truth. Remember the illustration that I've given you in the past that when someone's training to be a bank teller, they're learning to count that money. They don't learn to feel and, and, and look and recognize all the different counterfeits that might be in the world. They handle the real thing so much that when something comes between their fingers that's not right, oh, it's different. We could spend all of our time looking upon everybody else's wrongs and what everybody else is getting wrong. But in the end, it comes down to the fact that this is the guy that we have before us. It's God's Word, which we must weigh everything up against. If it doesn't marry with God's Word, then we just need to leave it. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Well, some say most definitely yes, even because of what we see here in our passage. That's what they were accusing him of. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. That wasn't being made as a compliment. <laughs> Truth is, is they were meaning it in a very derogatory fashion. We find that others say, no way. No way. You can't be a friend to sinners. We find that the Scripture gives us a number of passages. We'll look at them in a bit. James chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 
But these passages seem to teach us something different, that you can't be a friend of Jesus and to the world at the same time. Now, I think that the first thing we've got to learn to distinguish is what's the difference in a sinner and the world. Sinners are in the world. The world has absolute, total, complete control of their lives. But it's not the world that will be saved. It's individuals in that world that will be saved. How can we bring these two views together? And what is God really trying to say to us? Can a Christian be a genuine, biblically separated, sanctified Christian and still be a friend to a non-Christian? Well, sometimes we may need to define what a friend is. A British publication once offered a prize. And what the prize was for is the person that could give the best definition of a friend. There were thousands of answers that came in. One said, it's one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. Another says, one who understands our silence. Another says, a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. The definition that one was simply a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. The one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. I like one that I read from a small boy, though. And sometimes children have a way of sometimes just putting things more pure and simple. He says, someone who knows all about you and likes you just the same. <laughs> Somebody that knows all about you and they like you just the same. Most of us, if we thought of the name Howard Hughes, we'd think of a very, very, very wealthy man. Something like $4 billion his worth. <laughs> a man that could buy anything that he wanted in this world. Money was no object. And yet, it's said that he made this statement late in his life. He said, I'd give it all for one true good friend. I'd give it all for one good friend. Everybody doesn't look on friendship the same way. I like the one, and I'm sure I've shared it with some of you before at least. They told about two men that were hunting in the northern U.S., and suddenly one of them yelled out, and he looked up to, to see this grizzly bear just charging right at them. The first one started frantically to put on his trainers, his tennis shoes, and he was trying to get them all tied up, and his friend looked at him anxiously and said, what are you doing? Don't you know that you can't outrun a grizzly bear? He looked at him and smiled and said, I don't need to outrun the grizzly. I just need to outrun you. We find that sometimes there'll come testing points of just how much that friendship is really, really worth. Men's definitions are many, and they're varied. 
But I want to point you to a couple of things. And all I want to give you this morning, very quickly, and you're going to have to come back this evening and maybe next Sunday, however long it takes me to get through this. And if you miss it, I can't do anything about that. I can't do it all in one sermon, amen. I want to give you, first of all, as we look into Scripture, some principles of Scripture to guide us. Because, folks, I'm genuine about this. I believe from the passages that we've seen that we've got to grasp and we've got to understand that all of our religion and all of our theology, everything that we learn, everything that we do, all that we are in this world, when we lose sight of those two greatest commandments, to love the Lord God with all of our heart and to love one another as he has loved us, we may as well throw in the towel and give up because nothing else matters and if all that we've been given during this conference on being a team player and playing on the right team, I'm saying we've got to be in the right game. With him, it was all about the loss. That's why Jesus came. That's what God's plan was. That's what it's all for. That's what we're still here for, to point men to Jesus Christ, their only hope. We find that <coughs> there is a principle of Scripture that teaches as believers, as Christians, Separation from unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, <clears throat> understanding that, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He says, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. <coughs> there is a principle of Scripture that tells us definitely, unequivocally, that we are to come out from amongst the world and to be separate. Separation from unbelievers. There's another principle of sanctification from the world unto God. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. We mentioned this verse earlier. He asked the question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Where does all these wars, all this fighting, where does all that come from? Come they not hence even of your lust? that war in your members because of man's selfish desires and pride. <laughs> he says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that 
the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So keep these principles in mind. First of all, there's a principle that says we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, that we're to come out from amongst them and not touch the unclean thing. There is a principle of Scripture that teaches very clearly that we are to be sanctified, that we are to be clean, that we are to be set apart, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. He goes on in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but ye, he that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. You see, he's saying it's your own selfish, lustful desires that on the one hand causes you to fight and war amongst each other. And he also goes on to say that even when God has promised to be our everything, to meet our every need, that, you know, instead of fighting each other, we need to be going to God. And yet many times we go to God and we don't get why. Because of that same, we ask wrongly that we might meet our own selfish desires, those fleshly lusts. We're asking for us, for me. We find that he tells us that we've got to separate ourselves Everything of this world is temporal. It's going to pass away. It's only what you've got with God that's going to last forever. Principles of Scripture. The Scriptures teach us separation from unbelievers. It teaches us sanctification from this world. It also teaches us about the sacrifices of friendship. John chapter 15, verses 10 to 14. Jesus said, If you keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love. If, he said, ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That my joy, Jesus said, might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. You see, the Bible teaches us that in true friendship, it's going to cost something. You know, the greatest way that we know of all is when a person is willing to lay down their life for another. Life itself does not mean more to them. Instead of sitting down trying to get your tennis shoes on so you can outrun the other guy so the grizzly can get him, you'd be trying to get between your friend and the grizzly to keep the bear from getting him. That's not what comes from the flesh. You see, there is... No greater evidence of love and friendship 
then that willingness to give all of yourself, to give your own life for another. But he's also shown us here that our love and friendship with Jesus is evidenced by a similar thing, even though we don't have to go and die physically for him like that he died for us. He's saying that we will show our love for him by giving ourselves to him completely. Not what we want, not what I want, not what makes me happy. You see, Jesus gave his all. Are we willing to give our all literally to allow him to have our lives, to have complete control, to yield ourselves in such a way? <coughs> Some people would cite these verses along with others as evidence that Jesus wasn't a friend because he taught this separation. Separation is a principle of Scripture. Sanctification is a principle of Scripture. Sacrifice is a principle of Scripture. I'm saying to you that the thing that we need to look at and where we'll come back to this evening is these are principles of Scripture. We can't love the world. We can't love the things of the world. We can't have the desires of our life focused upon what makes me happy. We're not to be unequally yoked together. And we'll look at how some of those things come together as we've looked at the principles. The next thing we need to look at is the practice of our Savior. <laughs> Jesus Christ was the ultimate example. And so we're going to look through the Scripture and we're going to say, okay, we don't deny any of these truths. They're of God. God's given them to us. How did Jesus put those things into practice? And from that, after we look at what Jesus Christ himself, then we're going to look thirdly at the purpose for the sinner. What is all, is, is, is God sovereign? Is God in control? God is the one that first of all has given us these principles to live by and he's made it very clear. In everything that we're doing, folks, if we get anything, anything more important than bringing those sinners to Christ, then we've missed the boat. We've missed it. If we love God with all of our heart and if we love others as he loved them, his great purpose, we'll see, for the sinner was for their salvation, that they could come to know Jesus Christ. And then, God willing, We'll turn that around, not only as we look at the purpose for the sinner, but the proposition for the saint. How can we make all this work in our lives as Christians? You see, I do hope. I do hope that you can answer the question, are you a team player? With an affirmative, yes, I am a team player. We need to be on the team together. We need to be going for the same goals. It's important that we're active. It's important all of these things. But I'm saying to you, what I want us to grasp and understand as individuals and certainly as Bethel Free Baptist Church, that the greatest goal that we have, the greatest goal that we have is to have the same purpose that God did, and that's the salvation of souls, the salvation of those sinners. And that's what we want to look at. How can we put all this? How can we as a team do what God wants us to do? and have the victory and see God really work and move in our midst to where only he can have the glory for it. I pray 
I pray that if you're here this morning, we're getting ready to sing a congregational hymn. We're going to sing this as a hymn of invitation. We're going to sing number 400, I mean, sorry, 309. And it asks you a simple question. Is your all on the altar? Is your all? Does God have all of you? Does God have everything? Have you given him totally, completely yourself? Because until we willingly give ourselves unreservedly to God in the same way that he has given himself unreservedly to us, we will never, we will never be able to win that prize. We'll never be able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. How are people going to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? When they see you loving them in the same way that Jesus Christ loved them. When they see more of Jesus Christ in your life than they see of you. When they see Jesus Christ because he has that much of you. Boy, I know. I made the comment this morning during our communion time. I know when you look in that mirror physically or spiritually, sometimes you don't like everything that you see. You don't like everything that you see. But the truth is, it's only when we're willing to look. And we're willing to see those things. Maybe, I told him, I hope you never get to the point that you like everything you see until you get your glorified body. If you start looking at it thinking, what a great grand Christian that you are, what a glorious person that you are, you've missed it. We want to become more and more like him. So as we sing this song this morning, I'm going to give you an invitation. Is your all on the altar? If you don't know for certain, number one, this evening that you're on the right team, then I want you to just step out and come down and let us take God's word and show you how you can know Jesus Christ. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to twist your arms. We're not going to play any psychic games with you. There's only one that I can point you to that will save you today, and that's Jesus Christ. If you're here as a Christian, God's spoken to your heart in some way in particular. Maybe right there where you are, you just need to bow your head and say, Lord, you don't have my all, but I want to give you my all. Right now, right here. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we're here. If you want to talk with someone, we're here. My main goal, my main invitation to you is whatever God has spoken to you, you do what God has asked you to do. You deal with it. Don't leave here planning on doing something about it tomorrow or next week. Deal with it while by God's grace, by the power of His Spirit through His Word, if He's spoken to you, you respond as we stand and as we sing together.